morning, here I stand down. So, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 18. As we discussed many times before, the Bible is certainly not afraid to tell us the truth, the whole truth, unedited about its heroes. This is inspired honesty which brings these ordinary people that God has used to life. And that makes us able to relate to them, to their experience, to the ups and downs that they live through. The Bible, you see, refuses to be, to be blind to human frailty, even amongst the heroes of the faith, the people that we want to look up to and we should look up to. And through their lives, the Bible addresses the real life questions all of us face each and every day. It could have been lived a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years ago, but it's still very much not a lot has changed, has it? One such person is Elijah that we looked at last week in chapter 18. Elijah there experienced a dramatic victory in the confrontation with the worshippers of Baal on Mount Carmel. Elijah prayed his relatively simple, short prayer and God answered in a spectacular way with fire. Everything was consumed. And now the prophets of Baals are no more. They have been exterminated. The rains have begun once again after three, three and a half years. Elijah walked away a hero from Mount Carmel, feeling on top of the world. And and we wish that the story could end just there. On a high note, we like that type of ending. But in this, the following chapter, the very, you know, in the same breath almost, things go down very quickly. In chapter 18, Elijah is ready to conquer the world. In this chapter, he's a defeated man. So verses 1 to 4, back down. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and now he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a a broom brush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. King Ahab, the weak King Ahab, goes home and tells his pagan wife everything that had happened. In retribution for killing her 850 prophets, Jezebel vows to kill this troublesome nuisance of a prophet of God. 
As a result, this once mighty prophet turns to jelly. He, he, he basically turned from the, 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 the you know, all-conquering prophet to suddenly a coward. He ran for his life down south. The hero of Mount Carmel became this despondent loner crying, I've had enough. What happened? What happened? There's no doubt that he was used by God to perform one miracle after another. And if you read his story, it's a remarkable life. He had watched as as God provided in the midst of the drought that went for three and a half years, as, as God provided an unending supply of food for the poor family who was looking after him, for, who was housing him. God used him to the, restore the life to the dying boy. He had been God's man on this, that great showdown on Mount Carmel. And one would expect that Elijah, of all people, would be always riding on a high. We, we think that at the very least he could be a very highly paid motivational speaker on a circuit. People are going to listen to, to, you know, to be inspired by this amazing life that he would never hit bottom. But he did. So what causes this? What, what do you think was, was the cause? Well, one reason I believe is physiological. In many cases, elation is often followed by times of doubt, discouragement and sometimes Depression. Once the adrenaline, the the hormone, the natural hormone in the body, once that starts stops pumping, then the downer starts. Stress, fatigue, the body chemistry, genetic makeup, and other factors can sometimes combine to bring what we call the blues. And the believer is not exempt from these. For the believer, often these feelings are are totally unrelated to our spiritual commitment. We love God, but we're just not up to it. Our experience, our everyday experience, seems to be in a disconnect from what we believe. They are simply the results of being human. I think another part of the answer is sheer frustration. On the mountain, the people said, the Lord is God. Right? So the last week. Sounds like a very positive affirmation. Yes, the Lord is God. And maybe Elijah for a moment thought, finally the people are changing, that revival is breaking out. But no, as soon as the smoke died on Mount Carmel, their spiritual zeal died along with it. A pastor once uh, said, he put it this way, he said, the toughest 
thing is watching people act so contrary to everything you have been trying to preach and teach and wondering whether or not you have made any difference in anyone's life. End of quote. It's not just pastors, is it? I mean, most parents, I think, can also relate to this. As they try to bring up children the best way possible. Yet many wander off, ignoring the very things you've taught them for so many years with much love. And and all this has to take a toll on us. It does. It's frustration. As Henry David Thoreau one of America's most famous writers, 150 years ago, he wrote, he said, and he said, and I quote, he said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation, end of quote. The mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And we could say that these days it is worse than ever. Okay, Elijah, we hear you. 2,800 years ago, he was living his experiences and, and we hear the frustration in his heart. But, but in Elijah's case, it was more serious than just a case of the blues. He didn't just go for a stroll down south for some much-needed R&R. He had had enough. He said so himself. He had enough. Those are the very words that he uses. He went down to Beersheba. and Beersheba is a historical place as well. It's on the border of even the kingdom of Judah in the south with the rest of what follows, in, uh, geographically speaking. Now he went down to Bathsheba, he left his servant there and then he continued into the wilderness for for another day alone. He was basically resigning. He was throwing in the towel as far as he was concerned. More than that, he, he wanted out of life. He wanted to check out. He wanted to check out of life itself as he asked God to take his life. Not enough. Please take my life. But God, but God, but God. When you see that throughout the scriptures, it's got a, right? Many times this happens. But God wasn't finished with him yet. Someone who does care and does not leave us in despair is the Lord. That is a promise. In his word he offers strength to overcome our frailty. In this case, the the feelings of depression that sometimes come to even the strongest of us. The Lord does care. He is there. He is concerned. His love is never ending. His mercies never fail us. And this is what the Lord does. In verses 5 to 9, back to health. 
Slowly but surely, the Lord will be working in his life. Back to health, verse 5. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank and strengthened by the food. He travelled for 40 days, 40 nights until he reached Horeb. Um, In other words, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave spent the night. Here we have some simple advice that works for many. I would say that it would probably work even for most. But obviously not in not in every situation. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a health expert. I'm not a qualified psychiatrist, psychologist, any of that. But I will, however, just just follow the the steps that we find here in Scripture. Firstly, sleep. What is it that we need to recover? Something very simple sleep. Sometimes the easiest form of recovery is to simply sleep. Elijah slept, ate and then slept again. This is God's gift of rest for our mind and our body. Secondly, food and liquid. In the wilderness, there's not much of both, so God sends an angel to feed him some fresh water, some fresh bread and some water. You see, proper nutrition and rest are critical to a good mental attitude. Those who have, you know, who live overstressed, underpaid workaholics will inevitably have trouble here. Uh, the pursuit of just putting yourself more, more and more pressure. Of course, overeating and oversleeping create problems in themselves, but in good balance they are absolutely essential. What's the third thing that we see here? Exercise. Well, it doesn't say that. Where do you get that from? I'll explain. What does exercise do? Exercise actually gets the endorphins, which is the body's own natural sedative. It gets them flowing in our system to calm us down. Elijah's exercise would not be on a treadmill, but in the form of walking and walking and walking for over 300 kilometres over 200 miles down south. It's a very simple exercise, isn't it? Just walk. Keep yourself active. And fourthly, what he needed was companionship. God was obviously in conversation with him, but not only that, but he sent his angels who spoke to him. 
being alone is okay, perfectly okay, and we have different personalities. Some like to be alone more than others. But prolonged loneliness is not good. We need one another. And God was going to do something about Elijah's predicament here. Companionship. Now in his mental state, Elijah felt that he was the only one left. Now if this was true, then that should have been more even more reason to stay alive. If you're the last one, mate, you can't die. In any case, the Lord lets him know that his, his thinking, the way he's thinking at the moment is not healthy and that, in fact, is not true. He will later tell him that there are 7,000, thousands who are on his side, who have not surrendered, who are still faithful. They continue to be faithful. Because two things should be noted. First, when you are deep in the pit, you rarely think straight and tend to exaggerate your predicament. And secondly, despite all the evidence to the contrary, you do have friends out there, people who are supportive, who care and are willing to see you through. That's a function of a church. The Apostle Paul told the Thessalonians, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. These are very important words. Back to Elijah, after some time he was strong enough to continue his long journey but it at least he had a goal, a place where God was leading him to. He wasn't there yet, but for 40 days and 40 nights, he got there. And this long trek shows that God was patient with Elijah. He, um, he didn't demand just, Elijah just snap out of it. He didn't demand an immediate recovery from him. He allowed the prophet time to heal from his spiritual depression. Slowly, in his good time. You know that even when we are prone to think this way, I think God does not give up on us nearly as easily as we tend to give up on God. And that's a very important thing to remember. Back to Sinai, second part of verse 9 to 13. And the, and the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. So what did the Lord do? What was he going to do in order to help him come out of this, to recover? The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came the fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, how do you hear a whisper? What does it sound like? Those who are struggling with hearing might really struggle on this one. Isn't that what Simon and Garfunkel spoke about, the, the sounds of silence? But when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. I think up at this point he was so afraid that he was hiding, like we, we tend to, you know, one of our dogs gets really scared every time there's a storm and thunder and, you know, he's just scratching at the door trying to get in because he's so afraid. I think Elijah, with everything that was happening, all the natural phenomenon that were happening outside, that he, was, he, went, he didn't want to come out of the cave. But in these verses... The story, if if you can pick it up, the story moves beyond Elijah and his own personal needs to that deeper level that addresses the question of how God actually works in our world. Elijah's ultimate destination is very significant. Mount Horeb is the place where Moses first met God at the burning bush when he called him. It was also the place known as Mount Sinai where God gave the law. We know what happened in front of Mount Sinai when the people worshipped the golden calf. Well, Moses was up on the mountain. And for Elijah, a trip to that holy mountain was a a spiritual pilgrimage, a place to, to rekindle national memories, to recall all that God had done throughout history. And God was the one who actually led him there, enabling him to reach there. And this is the place where Elijah ended up for his spiritual reset. When he gets there, God asks him a very important question. What did he ask him? How's it going, mate? What are you doing here, Elijah? It's not as if God doesn't already know what he's doing there, right? But he's wanting Elijah to come out and to to spell it out, spit it out. This is all part of, you see, his emotional healing. But did he really understand why he was there? Did he understand he was there because of his faulty thinking, his wrong focus? Did he understand that though he had been running from the Lord, it was God who who led him to this very special place? There is nowhere you can actually run away from God. He's going to go with you, pursue you even. And, And... 
he takes him to a spot where he's at the end of his wits. Okay, Elijah, you've lived life in this way. Are you ready to listen? Are you, can we have a talk now about where, we, where you're at? So this is why twice God asked him the same question. What are you doing here? And twice Elijah gives the same response. His answer shows that he hasn't really grasped the issues. It's me, 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 I'm failure and all this stuff is happening and I'm no better. He was angry over the lack of response, the help from others. He felt alone. He was bitter because he had served the Lord, I suppose, for all of these years and it seems like he's... He's no better than his forefathers because they seem to have more success than what he's having. He's experiencing rejection, exile, and his, obviously his focus is on himself. Poor me. Jeremiah had a similar experience. So next stage in his therapy... God tells him to stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. I don't think he dared. That's why he stayed in the cave. The Lord was about to pass, but so he could just see there. After his experience on Mount Carmel, spectacular as it was, Perhaps he was expecting a a new overwhelming revelation of God's power to convince him of who God really is. Just totally overwhelming them. Boom, you know. And yes, some of that happened. Earth, wind and fire, right there. Remember the band? An old band, anyway, before your time. But you see, earth, wind and fire are three elements that the pagans actually um, uh, worship. Those who worship nature are into earth, wind and fire. And here, earth, wind and fire, totally under God's command, under God's control. But God wasn't in them. He made that happen, but he wasn't in that. In the wind, in the earthquake, or the fire. What's the lesson here? The lesson is God is not always in the loud and spectacular, in the spectacular events of history. Many today would have us hear God at work in the world in the number and magnitude of fantastic miracles. But it does, it does happen. I won't discard that. But you can't focus. You can't put all your faith, your energy into that. God can do anything, obviously. 
Because if people will not respond to the word that is alive, that is powerful, they are not going to respond even if someone comes back from the grave and tells them and warns them about hell. Jesus told us that. Many people will be impressed by the miraculous, by the spectacular, but do you, do you, do you understand how long that emotion will last? Is not what changes lives. It's just like Pharaoh's heart. They become even more hardened. Sometimes God is heard unexpectedly in the soft and the subtle sounds of life. Those that we are drawn, we just have to come closer to listen. And we must be willing to listen intently. And and here I want to quote Spurgeon, who put it this way, and I quote, And now the thunder ceased, and the lightning was gone, and the earth was still, and the wind was hushed. And there was a dead calm, and out of the midst of the still air, there came what the Hebrew calls a voice of gentle silence. as if silence had become audible. And there is nothing more terrible than an awful stillness after a dread uproar. End of quote. It was unseen, soft sound that uh, drew Elijah to a point where He could finally respond to God. And I dare to say it would be the same for us. In the midst of all the noise, the the, the audible noise and the visual noise that we face each and every day, that still small voice is still active. Still there. Listen to God. And back to work. Verses 13 to 18. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. Okay, we've heard that again, Elijah. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram. Anoint Jehu, king over, king over Israel. Anoint Elisha. Yet I reserve, verse 18, 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouth have not kissed him. After all the things that God did, now he does what perhaps is the best thing for Elijah. He gave him some work to do. Not just to continue his life in idleness, but he gave him work to do. 
God called Elijah back to involvement with the everyday things of life, the things that he was called to do as a prophet in the first place. He was still God's prophet. He didn't get the sack. God didn't accept his resignation. He still had a mission. He went down to Sinai one way and now he was going to go back home with a a detour further north to, to Syria before he turned over across the Jordan back home. He would anoint a king in Syria who would be used by God to judge Israel. I don't know how the Israelites would have felt about that, but that's what God does. He would anoint Jehu, who would be king and replace Ahab and his wonderful wife Jezebel. And with this promise, he knew that ultimately justice would be done. That God would not allow the persecution of of his people to continue. That God will not allow the unbridled promotion of idolatry to go unpunished. God will bring justice. Justice will prevail. I know what it looks like. And we need to remember that, especially now, considering the stuff that is happening in our world, considering the legislation in Victoria. God's justice will prevail. And then God tells him that he would anoint a replacement for himself. Remember that the core of his complaint before God was that he was alone. And God lets him know that there was a man ready to learn from him. He was going to be his apprentice, a disciple, a companion. Because Elijah needed the hope that someone else was going to continue the work that he had been doing, all the hard work. So he raised up, God raised up a successor to follow Elijah's prophetic office. The work will continue. The work will not stop with you, Elijah. God is at work in Elijah. God is at work in the world. And many times, just because you don't see it, doesn't mean it's not happening. Elijah will go down as one of the greats. He would not see death as he will be carried to heaven on what? On a chariot of fire. One of the highlights for me even above that, even beyond Mount Carmel, beyond the chariot, is the fact, is the fact that Elijah and Moses, it was Moses and Elijah encouraging who? Encouraging Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. As, as Jesus is preparing, heading steadfastly toward Calvary, towards the cross. And who should encourage him but Elijah? Let's conclude with the words of the Apostle Paul. The words that uh, speak to us about the continuing work of God and our part in it. 1 Corinthians 15:58 Therefore my dear brothers and sisters stand firm 
There's that word stand, right? Here I stand last week. Here I stand down this week. The Bible says stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that the labour, that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain. Amen. Let us pray. Be Lord, thank you for calling us. For calling us out of darkness into your wonderful kingdom. Not just to sit idly by, but to live the life that you've prepared for us to live. The work that you've prepared for us, help us to do it faithfully with the gifts and talents that you give us. Even when we are discouraged, Lord, may you be our helper, our comforter, our counsellor, through the Holy Spirit who is with us each and every day. Equip us, Lord, to do your will and help us, Lord, to be the angels that Elijah needed, Lord, to help someone else in need as well. In all things, Lord, may we give you glory and honour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.